Coming up in today's show, we have a bit of a juicy episode. I'm talking about stan culture and why I think stan culture is toxic. We also have a who's the problem here about whether or not it is okay to call it quits on a concert because you can't afford it last minute. And I'm sharing my side-by-side note of this week of meeting Megan Trainer and a slight little inconvenience that we had upon meeting each other. You are listening to the Not At The Party podcast. I'm Brock Vallesini. If you don't know me, once again, first name Brock, second name Vallesini, middle name, you're not knowing. And what's something else about me I can tell you? Mm, not much. If you want to know about my day, I did a uni Zoom, so I had to go to campus, then come back. And then I had to do an online one, and the teacher is just a little bit whack for the online one. Literally, majority of the lesson he doesn't, well, tutorial lesson, I don't know, whatever the fuck you want to call it, he doesn't actually teach much we literally spent i think it was almost 33 minutes out of the hour we have on zoom literally just chatting him just going around asking everyone brock how how are you going what's going on anyway let's get into my side eye side note because this one's a little bit fun a little bit of a fun little moment that happened in my past week and yeah So, not too sure if many of you have been keeping up with the TV show Australian Idol. Obviously, like American Idol, same shit. But Australian Idol actually stopped existing in Australia for a couple of years. I'm not sure why. Wait, there was definitely a previous one. Yeah, there was. It was around for a while and was pretty popular. Then it stopped being popular because like The Voice came about and kind of took the spotlight. Everyone preferred watching The Voice. X Factor then kind of disappeared. Everyone did love X, X Factor, but for some reason that one also fucked off. But anyway, Oz Idol's back. So good. It's actually so much better than The Voice, any other show. Because in Australia, the weird thing about talent shows like that is the judges are always literally just Guy Sebastian and maybe Jessica Malboy. Jessica Malboy, love her. But also Guy Sebastian, like... How about just drop a new album? How about we just stop leeching off the talent show money (laughs) and we just drop an album, okay? How about we start doing that? How about we actually promote our music instead of, hey, you can sing, you can't sing. Let's just promote the music and make money that way. Or let's get a real job. No, I'm kidding. I'm fully kidding. Talent shows in Australia are usually pretty boring, but Australian Idol has been pretty sick. Judges currently are, for those who aren't keeping up, we have Kyle Sanderlands, host of Kyle and Jackie O, absolute king. He's also a bit of a, asshole but it's low-key kind of funny he adds a little bit of entertainment to the show not gonna lie to you um other judges megan trainer our mother our queen we absolutely fucking love her we also have amy shark australian singer i feel like a lot of people don't know who she is when you mention her at first but then you you'll play a song of hers and you just know for those of you who don't know what she sings she sings that song i just want to and adore you and the song, tell them while I said hi, doing just fine. Yeah, that one. Anyway, so you may know her, you may not know her. Don't know, maybe look her up. You'll figure it out. We also have Harry Connick Jr. Love him, King 2. Don't really know who he is, but allegedly he's like an old classical singer. I don't know. Think like the blueprint of Michael Bublé. <laughs> That's the best way I have figured it out to explain it to myself and to explain it to other people. But that's basically how I'd put it. But... I have been to two live recording sessions of Australian Idol. I went once and that one went pretty well, like in standing area. Standing area is where you want to be. 
got tickets. We went. Obviously, it was just there for Megan. Megan trying to actually perform because they were doing like they're doing a thing where every single week on Mondays they have one of they have a special guest perform. So Megan was actually the first special guest to perform. Was so so good. She performed. Made you look. Oh, incredible. And the fact that she's pregnant while she did it, the dance moves, not a single flaw. The vocals, you wouldn't even think that that was live vocals. It, like, deadass sounded backtracked. It wasn't, but it did sound like it because it just sounded too good to be true. I did end up meeting her, but it was like a really quick meet. It was like, turn the camera, took a selfie, off she went. So we went back again, um, obviously to see Megan Trainer again. <laughs> And this time I was like, okay, I'm going to take the CD of her album because then she'll want to sign it. But coincidentally, literally two days before. So I went on the Monday, which it was last Monday, but the Friday right before the Monday, the deluxe album came out and JB Hi-Fi had the deluxe CD literally just put in store. So on Monday afternoon, I went, I got the CD. I was like, perfect. If Megan sees I have the deluxe of all things, not the standard edition, I have the deluxe, which literally just dropped how do I even have the deluxe at this point? You know what I'm saying? I was like, she will see it and she will sign it. Of course she signed it. I handed it to her, not at the end when everyone's usually supposed to, but I I was like, I didn't really know when because when the judges come on stage, they're recording. But then some people were calling like the judges over to sign some stuff and whatever. And so I was just like, oh, maybe I was, no, I won't. Because the issue with CDs is that getting the actual album booklet out of the front to pull out to sign is the biggest pain in the ass. So I waited a little bit and then it was around like one of the ad, no, it wasn't even the ad break yet because it hadn't gone live. It was one of the pre-tapings where they do like, they do prep for little clips that they need for promos and ads and whatever in between the breaks and all that. The situation was, is that Daryl Sabara, her hubby, who is also the kid of Spike Kids, he came out and was talking to her, but then he went back and then as she had gone back, she had kind of turned around and she wasn't necessarily going to a seat yet because all the other judges were kind of just standing around talking with people. And so I was like, okay, perfect opportunity. Handed her my Sharpie, handed her the CD. She instantly came over. She grabbed it. She was like, oh my God, thanks for buying. The American accent I just did was putrid. But I gave her the album. She it was, it was she, she literally couldn't get the album booklet out. So I, I just looked up at her and I was like, to be honest, just rip it. Like if <laughs> you can just rip it if you want, just sign it, put it back in and I'll fix it later. I don't care. And she's like, no, no, no. She went, Then she took it over to like the judge's table thing and she was trying to pull it out. And this poor bitch, she's preggers. She's like pregnant as fuck. She's standing there trying to pull it out to sign it quickly. And then one of the people from the actual, like the floor team for the recording why kind of thing like the ca not camera crew but like the floor crew it's all the same shit the production crew that's what i'm saying the i think it was like the floor manager or something or some guy came over to her and oh no you know what it was the hype guy dave oh, i think so no i don't want to expose dave but anyway he started saying to her having a go at her not having to go but it kind of was just really awkward because because he was like who gave that to you? Why are you signing that? No, we're going to go. We're going to go. Because the floor manager was telling him that we had to, that whatever was being done had to wrap up so they could start recording. And Megan gave him the filthiest look and looked at him and was like, he gave it to me and pointed to me. And then I didn't realize at that point that she was actually getting in trouble. So I look over at this Dave guy and Megan do like peace sign with like, like a, you know what I'm saying? Like a peace sign and thought they were just, I thought that someone had said, oh my God, who brought the CD or something? And I was like, 
<laughs> it was like a proud peace sign. You know what I'm saying? Um, turns out it was actually, she was actually getting in trouble. <laughs> and my two cousins that were with me looked at me and they're like, oh no, Brock, she just got told off for trying to sign your CD. And then Megan looked back at him and was like, cause he was telling her that she, people weren't meant to be handing her stuff and said that no, no one, they, the guy had said like, no one is to, to hand her anything else to sign and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Megan looked at him, gave him the filthiest look and said, he has the album. Of course, I'm going to sign it. And I was like, damn fucking right you are because this is the deluxe album just came out. I would understand like at that point, turning down to just sign a bunch of posters and stuff because that's what other people had bought. No one actually bought the album. I was the only one that bought the album. King shit on that iconic shit as usual. Okay. So if you're watching on the Spotify video, um, here is the CD signed in all of its glory. It says M train. It's signed and it has a little love heart queen. Megan Trainer has quite literally touched this. It's going right next to my signed Sabrina Carpenter vinyl and signed Sabrina Carpenter CD. <laughs> so today I wanted to talk about Stan culture. If you don't know what Stan culture is, or you don't know what Stan means, Stan basically means fan, but like fan to the max. A fan would just, I think at this, in the, at this point in age, you would consider a fan someone that's more of just a generalized person not generalized person, um, somebody that just generally loves a artist, YouTuber, creator, influencer, anyone of public interest, um, or like basically anyone that's like admirable, admirable, if you know what I'm saying. But Stan is now kind of like a deeper love and a deeper connection to loving that artist. It just means Stan is more of like the way of saying that like you're a big fan Whereas fan is just saying that you're just like a generalized statement that you're a fan of them. When you say you're a stan of them, it means like you love them. They are like your number one favorite, if you know what I'm saying. But I wanted to talk about whether or not stan culture is toxic. Stan culture has existed for so long now. Like I'm talking like back to at least 2015, uh, especially with Twitter. But I think it was like around 2015 that it started to get bigger and bigger. But also you had things like even like Tumblr, what else? Instagram fan pages, all that stuff. That all contributed to stan culture. But what stan culture looks like now is obviously you have fan pages and update pages on celebrities and whatever it may be. But more so now, stan culture is very based on Twitter. Twitter is primarily for stans and supporting artists and whatever that may be, whatever that may look like. Twitter is the number one source for like news about an artist, gossip, drama, tea, community building with like other fans, fighting other fans, whatever that may be. Twitter is the place to go. So the thing is, do I think stan culture is toxic? And I would say for myself, before I do get into any of my main points, I have been heavily involved with stan Twitter. Stan Twitter is Stan culture, as I was saying, but we call it Stan Twitter. I hate that I just said we call it, they call it, because I don't really want to actively involve myself in this, but Stan Twitter is very much so what we call the Stan culture side of Twitter. Because obviously there's like bland Twitter where it's just like news and boring shit and trending stuff. And then we have Stan Twitter, which is like fan bases. We've got Swifties, all the different fan bases bunch of fans that 
community build and are friends with each other and blah, 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 all that kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? You know where I'm getting at. You know the point that I'm trying to make. I am a stan of Sabrina Carpenter. I absolutely love her. I've been on Twitter connecting with other people and just like tweeting with excitement about things since maybe 2016, 2015. I'm going to say 2016, to be honest, just to be safe, because I'm pretty sure I started using it in 2016 and that's when I was getting involved. Obviously, before that, I was like involved with Instagram fan pages and Instagram fans and whatever, but that's a, now a different dynamic to Twitter because as I said, having fan pages used to be the way to connect with other people on Instagram, but now it's switched over to Twitter because you can have your own personal account but still actively engage in these things without having to have like a whole fan page posting about them more like that whole genre of thing i on my time on stan twitter have witnessed many things arguments controversies timeline breakdowns album releases i've been there for it all i've experienced it all the drama between people i've been involved in drama do I love it? Kind of. It's kind of fun to just fuck around because at the end of the day, like you can make an anonymous account and completely stir shit and cause complete havoc and then just delete the account and call it a day. I mean, you could potentially get doxxed, which is not so fun, but uh, yeah, I've seen it all. I've experienced it. I've experienced the toxic side of it. And I, I think it's my main takeaway was that there's so many boundaries that have to be set when it comes to it. Otherwise, it becomes addicting, especially when there's like an album release coming up or something dropping or some heavy involvement that gives you content from whoever you were loving and standing for that matter. When it does come to that, there is a lot of like refreshing, theorizing with people, especially if you're a Taylor Swift fan. Like they see one music video and suddenly Taylor Swift is dropping four new albums, three re-recordings and is suddenly now maybe retiring. So it's intense. Do I think that stand culture is toxic? And I'll get into my main points in a second. But in my opinion, I think stand culture is made up of very entitled, toxic people that make up a celebrity's fandom. And the issue that I have with them is that they abuse their bond between each other as a community to excuse unhinged or obsessive behaviors that negatively contribute to our online space. That's how I feel. I feel that stan culture is toxic and it does contribute negative, negatively. And I think that it, there needs to be a lot of boundaries set in place. And obviously there's no way that we can control this or like be able to retain the extent that retain the extent of toxicity that stand culture has amassed to but individually if you're going into a community like a fan base community or whatever that may be or look like for you i think it's important to be setting boundaries i was watching this show the other day that just came out on amazon prime it's called swarm you may have heard of it you may have not it was directed or produced or something it was like something to do with there was involvement with Donald Glover, who I think is Childish Gambino. I think they're the same person. Let me double check. Okay, yes, I was correct. Um, <laughs> Donald Glover is, in fact, Childish Gambino. So he produced this show or directed it or some bullshit. Anyway, maybe had some involvement in writing it. Not too sure of the <laughs> specifics. But basically, he worked on this Amazon Prime show. But the whole idea behind it is going into how 
stan culture has become so toxic and how toxic it can become to an extent and basically the whole premise of the show is so fucked up i actually can't even explain it to you you have to watch it but basically uh they metaphorical not metaphorically but they reference to beyonce in the show so there's the main character dre and i think it's either her sister or her best friend who i don't know what the name goes but oh um marissa best friend is marissa they live together they both love the celebrity named Nija. Nija is basically just like Beyonce pretty much, but they just obviously have to give a different name. And I'm pretty sure Beyonce confirmed that like they'll fine with her referencing her in this because the story with Marissa is actually based on a true story about when Beyonce released her Lemonade album visuals, this girl named Marissa. Um, yeah, I'll leave that to you to research into and watch the show, but apparently it's a true story. Uh, and then Dre is the best friend. So they love this this celeb, Nija, uh, as I said, meant to be Beyonce, but just like said in other words. And there's so many things in the show where you instantly just click and pick up on the fact that this is about Beyonce. And obviously, as I said, Donald Glover had permission from Beyonce, from what I know, allegedly, to be actively referencing her in this show. And with the show being called Swarm, the fan base name is Swarm, obviously a reference to the Bayhive, Hive. So, all the all the signs are there. Anyway, in the show, Marissa ends up, you know, de-worded. She ends up de-wording. Um, and then this whole thing happens. And basically, Dre just goes absolutely psychotic. And then anybody that says that they don't like Nija, if they tweet about it, that, are, that they don't like Nija, if they have anything to say to her face about not liking Nija, anything, she, and I'm not fucking with you, she tracks them down, stalks them, basically like finds a way to dox them without doxing them and then finds them and goes to their house. And then she attacks them and then asks them, who's your favorite artist? And if they don't reply with Naja, she basically K-words them on the spot. It's fucking insane. The show's kind of funny, but like when I was watching it, I was like, this is fucking whack. Billie Eilish is also in it. I won't spoil too much, but this th- the plot line with Billie is so fucking funny, especially like the last scene that she's in. I was on the floor because what the fuck? I was not expecting that. Please watch the show. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, that that's basically the whole premise of the show. And it got me thinking. I was like, I know this is a dramatization of how toxic stand culture has got, like how toxic it can get. Obviously not to this extent, but it's, as I said, it's a dramatiza- dramatization. Is that a word? So I want to give you a little rundown of my insights into stand culture. Okay. So for me, I think that stan culture is, it can be a good thing. Overall, I don't think it's a good thing, but there are things that contribute to it being a good thing. Because I I obviously, as I was saying, like I've been a part of it and I do enjoy a good majority of stuff that comes out of being a stan in a cult, in a, like, in a community of people. And I think it's fun to be able to like engage with others, especially when you have a favorite artist, for example. It's so fun when you don't, like if you don't have friends that are, a massive fan of that artist or whatever it may be. It's fun to be able to go online and connect with people on there. You have inside inside jokes with them. You have memes that you all know. You kind of leech off the celebrity's humor, the content you get from that celebrity. You get to enjoy the excitement together with like a whole community of people, not just one friend that may slightly like that artist or person or whatever it may be. It's an actual whole group of people, a whole fan base of people that you can share that excitement with theorize with over things 
and as I was saying before, like with album releases too, with Taylor Swift fans who are insane, it's like you get to enjoy the, and, and like embrace the build up to an album and like trying to assume what the album rollout will look like when the album's coming, trying to find like clues and hints and little mishaps or like steps in the process that have been skipped over that kind of give you information to like when the album may be coming or you know what I'm saying or little easter eggs in between music videos or songs or whatever and I think that is so fun that's what I enjoy out of it I love say Sabrina Carpenter drops a little easter egg in a music video about like a potential album coming I love going on Twitter and then I'm instantly like in the replies saying to people like oh I reckon that this is what's going to happen and maybe they're going to do this for the rollout and it will be smart if they did this. And then like per her last album rollout, the way she did it was she went on a late night show and she did a performance. Then she announced it at the end and blah, blah, blah. And then it will be like, oh, she's going on Jimmy Fallon next week. She's definitely announcing something, that kind of thing. Like just the excitement of like anticipation and then being able to enjoy it all together as a community. I think that's a positive of stand culture. I think that's something that is enjoyable out of it. And I think that if anyone... I mean, I think everyone will enjoy stand culture. I think it's just a matter of when you figure out what stand culture is and if you want to be involved. For the most part, that part of it is enjoyable. When we get into the depths, which I'll get to in a moment, you will understand why it can be so toxic. But as I said, setting boundaries is the way to go when it comes to involving yourself with a fan base or of as being a fan of someone. I also think one good thing about stand culture is that it does encourage creativity within a fan base because you see, for example, I will take Sabrina, for example, once again, a lot of Sabrina's music hasn't been pushed as far as it has needed to in the past or like on TikTok, for example. So when she released a bunch of songs, 2021, 2022, obviously the album came out in 2022, but in 2021, for example, I <laughs> took it upon myself because she had no trending songs on TikTok and she released a song and I had tweeted out trying to start a a trend to get the song trending and it wasn't like majorly successful but i managed to get over a thousand people using the sound for the trend and it kind of took off a little bit sabrina actually acknowledged it she said that she loved that trend and whatever she commented on my video and i think she shared a couple of them on her own instagram or something like that but i was so proud of that i think that's a fun way of creativity that you can take for example or even just like little mini fan-made music videos. I also did one of them for another song she did that came out like six months after that song that I just spoke about. And me and two of my friends did a fun little music video in Kmart. Uh, Sabrina actually did see it. She liked the video. I don't know if she commented, but she did repost it to her Instagram story. And I think that's fun about it because knowing that you could get engagement or an, an interaction out of it from your favorite artist makes it so much more exciting and pushes you to be creative with it and do things that will get their attention, if you know what I'm saying. Also, another thing that I was thinking is when you go to concerts, fan projects, you always see there'll be like a bunch of fans that will organize something. I know at Harry... St no, not Harry Styles. No, no, it was Harry Styles. There was a fan project at the Sydney show where they were trying to get everyone to cover their flashlights with... I think it was Harry Styles... I believe. Anyway, there was a bunch of fans trying to set up a project to basically have everyone cover their flashlights during a specific song with a yellow piece of paper so that the flashlights would all look yellow. 
did it happen? I'm not too sure. But things like that, or even down to like little video projects where everyone gets involved and you get a bunch of fans to like send it online for the video. And then that gets sent off to like on to post it on Twitter for the artist to potentially see. Those kinds of things are so fun. And I think that's like a really fun and interesting part of being in a fan base or being a part of a fan base for that matter. That is exciting. Now, when we get into what makes stan culture actually toxic within a fan base or whatever you want to call it, fandom. A lot of people call it fandom, but fan base is probably the most common generic term I could use here because I feel like fandom always gets a bit misinterpreted by some people. So we'll just stick with fan base. Obviously, as a fan, as you become a stan, there's a point where you get to where you can kind of become like have behaviors that are a bit obsessive and unhealthy to the point of like defending your favorite artist or whatever the fuck to the extent where it's like okay like it becomes unhinged not necessary too far it starts to spread hate onto other people and or, or even just like attacking people for not sharing the same opinion as, as you i once got attacked because i said that um sabrina had released a song called skinny dipping and the cover art I actually love the cover art of it now, but initially when she posted the cover art, I fucking hated it because the photo was great, but the, the, the text on it was like stitched into it. So the way that the photo looked, somebody literally said it looked like sausages. Like the font she used was like sausages made to look like the words skinny dipping. <laughs> and that was like my tipping point with it. I was like, nah. I'm sorry, guys. I hate it. And because I said that, I was literally got involved in like a three-hour long thread reply argument for saying that I didn't like it. I thought it was hilarious. I ended up liking it. Oh, no. Actually, it wasn't even me that didn't like it. Somebody else I knew didn't like it. And they had said something about it. I said I didn't hate it, but it could have been better. But now, in hindsight, I actually love it. It's one of my favorite cover arts. And... <laughs> I don't know. This person that said that they didn't like it just got attacked and I was trying to defend them. But then all the people that were just like die hard. Well, I'm die hard too, but also they're just to the extent of like, you can't say anything wrong against them because it instantly just associates you with being a hater, which isn't accurate. And I think that's very toxic because everyone's entitled to an opinion within the community. Uh, whether it's right or wrong, if somebody doesn't like something, if somebody doesn't like a certain song, somebody likes something more than the other person, that's okay. But you'll even see if people don't like a certain song or a certain video or if like, if it's a YouTube, for example, if they don't like a certain video or they don't like how they said this or whatever it may be, you then have people on the replies just fully going at it, attacking them, hating on this person that's had an opinion. And it's okay to have the opinion. Obviously, if it's an actual intent, obviously if that opinion is actually intended to be hateful or not in like a positive interest, I totally understand the hate. I support the hate in that case. But if it's not, move on. It's fine. There's also an expectation within stan culture that fans have to constantly prove their loyalty to their, not to their artist, but within their community of people, they have to prove their loyalty to the, that artist or figure, public figure. We'll, we'll stick with that word for now. Public, public figure. Uh, what that looks like to me is having to like commit time to them as in like going on Twitter, interacting with people, spending time like streaming. 
only streaming them, or not necessarily only streaming them, but like that's a good example you could use, or devoting a certain lot of money and whatnot to buying merch, to buying albums, to spending on buying new albums, when like at this point, who the fuck is buying an album on iTunes? Or even just like going to CDs, it's like the expectation of having to use your own money to buy CDs because it helps with album sales and charting or whatever, whatever, right? Same goes with a podcast. The expectation of a fan of a podcast to chip in, support, subscribe through like a paid membership model or something like that with a podcast, I'd say. And it's like the expectation on the fan. And if there was, for example, a community of fans of a podcast engaging with each other, it's the expectation that because you're a fan, you should be subscribed to that membership model, to that membership tier, or you should be buying the merch of the podcast or the creator or whatever it is, because that makes you look like a real fan. And that creates a very toxic environment because then it feels like a lot of the things you aren't doing anymore for being just a fan and just like liking that person. You're doing that because you're proving your loyalty to that public figure. Me, for example, I only have ever bought Sabrina Carpenter merch once. It was back in 2016. And it was only because I was trying to get, they had like a hundred, it was like the first 100 people would get, uh, I think maybe a hundred people would get a personal video message from Sabrina. I actually didn't get it, but I still got the merch pack anyway, which was fine. Totally fine with that. I still actually have it. But since then, literally the only thing has, but since then, literally the only things I've bought is her emails I can't send vinyl and all her CDs for her albums. That's, I think, literally it, which I think is fair. I'm fine with that. I've also bought the albums on iTunes and there's there's plenty of other things I've bought from her, but merch specifically and things like that, I haven't forced myself to buy it. And even with the CDs, I only have... Oh, I have four of the albums. There's five, but the fifth one I just don't really like, so I didn't get it. But I only got those because I wanted to finish my... I wanted to get my favorite albums on CD, plus the vinyl I wanted because I collect vinyls. So that's simply put. But when it gets to the extent of like having to buy it because you're trying to prove something, prove that you are such a big fan and prove that, oh, I bought this vinyl because Sabrina signed it and I'm such a big Sabrina fan because she signed my vinyl and not yours. That's when it gets a little bit too out of hand and it's toxic and creates a toxic environment among other fans and an expectation on people to kind of like do better is what it's implying. Like by doing better, that looks like committing time, effort, energy, money to that artist to prove that you are a quote, Stan. And the next point I want to make with this is Stan entitlement. <laughs> now this is the part where I get really pissed off because Stan entitlement, what does that look like? What does that mean? That means that I'm, I, I don't want to call them stands anymore because I feel like that's just so annoying. But fans, basically, they have this expectation that because they are a fan and they're so loyal and they've proved their loyalty. Oh, I actually just thought of the best example for this. I don't know if I can say it, but I will hopefully mention it. Um, they start to believe that because they're such a big fan that they are entitled to receive attention from the artist, time from the artist. And they're entitled to know about their personal life. For example, 
one thing that I see a lot of people always arguing about because it is wrong is celebrity privacy when it comes to like dating, personal life, all that stuff. This is what I'm saying. When it comes to dating, I'll take Sabrina once again. Or even like Ariana Grande, for example. Ariana Grande starts dating someone. All of the, what are they called? Arianators. All the Arianators suddenly start believing that they need to know who she's dating. Then they figure out who she's dating. Then they decide they don't like who she's dating. And then suddenly they're trying to get involved in her personal life telling her. And there's like a whole tweet trend of like hashtags trying to get Ariana to not date them and whatever. And that's what I'm saying when it comes to entitlement. Because it's like the fans, stands, whatever the fuck you want to call them. They start to believe that they should have an input on what's happening because they deserve and they are entitled to know about the personal life of that celebrity. Same goes with Sabrina. We have her currently... No, no, no. 2019. This was before even the Joshua Olivia stuff. Sabrina was dating... Not dating, but there was rumors that she was dating Griffin Gluck, who is the... Not her best friend in Tall Girl, but it's the sister... So, Ava Michelle, the girl. Whoever the character is that Ava Michelle plays. It's her best friend in the show, the guy. There was rumors that them two were dating. And at first, everyone was kind of like all for it, but then it turned out that he's not that great of a person and he was a little bit controversial. So there was this whole thing going down. People were mad. Mind you, they hadn't even confirmed their relationship at this point. It wasn't confirmed. It wasn't official. They literally just posted one Instagram photo together where they were in their Halloween costumes for Halloween. And that was it. And that was 2019? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. October 2019 and it just it got so out of hand and so out of pocket to like a a severe extent of like people getting involved in Sabrina's life telling her not to date this guy and their points were valid because like he wasn't that great but also it then went to the extent of everybody making Sabrina owe them an, an apology because she was like rumored to be dating this guy and she actually had to put out a little statement being like hey guys like I actually have never made this official or anything. Um, I've never even publicly like showed that I'm involved with this person. I've only showed that once. So let's not jump to the conclusion that I support anything they've done because I don't. And it was just a whole issue. There was this one girl in specific where she took it so far to the point where she like, she herself was the reason for causing the entire chain reaction of people to hate on Sabrina. Cause there was, I'm honestly going to say jump, jump for like, the heights here and say that 75% of people didn't care. 75% of people were like, it's her private life. It's not official. Nobody cares. The other, what's, what is it? 45? No, not 45, 35%. They were people supporting this one girl who was, who claimed to be like the biggest Sabrina stand to exist, but she quite literally started this whole chain reaction of hating on Sabrina and literally caused the whole thing of like, making Sabrina have to apologize for somebody else's actions when Sabrina wasn't even officially involved with them in any way. It was fucked up. It was insane. It was just such a chronically online thing to even happen. Like the fact that that is a thing anyway, making somebody apologize for somebody else's actions is whack. I don't agree with it. I agree. I think that if you, you are openly involving yourself with someone who is like a known racist or a known like horrible person, period, Say, for example, like I know Chloe, Chloe Bailey, like of Chloe and Haley, but not Chloe, <laughs> Chloe, Chloe and Haley. I don't fucking know. Anyway, Chloe Bailey, 
a lot of people don't like her right now because she dropped a collab with Chris Brown. And I understand that because it's an open official expression of like supporting that person. But with this situation with Sabrina, it's actually an invasion of privacy to the extent of like making shit up based off little paparazzi pictures or little things that have been dropped or whatever when it was never official. It's an evasion of privacy, point blank period. And then making somebody apologize for something that they had nothing to do with after their privacy was invaded is insane to me. And that is what toxic stan culture looks like. If you want to send in your own Who's the Problem Here, send it to podcast at brockvalacini.com or click the link in the show notes to submit anonymously and no one will know that it was you. But if you send it by email, obviously I'm going to know. Today's Who's the Problem Here is, mind you, before I get into it, this is a sourced story that I found on Reddit. I do vary my Who's the Problem Here is between Reddit source stories and audience submitted stories, obviously to keep the consistency going. But here's the Who's the Problem Here. Am I the problem for backing out of a concert ticket because I can't afford it? So basically, I, 18 male, am a broke college student with less than $200 in my bank account. I was asked by my girlfriend, 18 female, if I wanted to go to a concert for $30. And $30 isn't that much, so I agreed. I get a text not too long after saying that I owed her $55 and not $30. I know I can technically afford it, but I also previously agreed to go to another concert with her, but we hadn't worked out the details yet because it's farther away. I can't afford to go to both, but I don't want to go to the $55 concert because I can't be spending $105 on concerts when the $200 in money is all I have to live for the next few months. She's upset at me now for backing out, but I wasn't told the real price of the ticket when I agreed. Am I the problem here? See, this is the one time I feel like concert tickets always are never a fun experience for anyone. I don't know why, but... I feel like every time I've been in a situation of getting concert tickets with people, especially there was one recently where it was just like fucked up. Anyway, I feel like there's always some drama that goes down about who's coming or who's going or who's getting the tickets, who owes who what money and so on. In this situation, I actually don't think you're the problem. The reason being is because you can't be told the price of a ticket and then once they've been bought, give a whole different price. If they said $30 to begin with and now they're trying to say $55, the only, the only, actually, the only time I think this is acceptable is when there is ticket booking fees because that's just expected. Like with Ticket, Ticket Tech, for example, no, I was going to say Ticketmaster. No, actually, both of them do it. There is booking and handling fees, which sometimes can add up to like thirty dollars onwards. And then when you do split the cost between that, it does add money onto it. But going from thirty dollars to fifty-five dollars, it's very much sounding like the actual ticket price was completely different to what you were told to begin with. perfectly fine. $55, that is a $25 difference. I totally understand why you'd be annoyed. I mean, it's not that big of a difference. Like if this was a difference between $100 and $250, I understand the the difference. I feel like it's a little bit petty because you could just pay the difference $25 and go. But the real issue here, as I said, is that you weren't told the right price. You were told that it was $30 and now being told you owe this person $55. If that's the case, then the person that bought it for $55 should cover the remaining amount. You still pay your $30 because you weren't aware of this. You weren't told. You weren't consulted with. And that person covers the remaining $25 because I think that's fair. If they're not going to be fair, then they need to do something to, to make up for that. And I would say that that is 
paying the difference because it's, if if I had a friend that books tickets for me and they tell me that it's 140 and I told them that I could only just afford 140 and no more than that, then we're getting the 140 tickets. But if they go off without me knowing and they're going to buy the 200 tickets, then where, like, where am I getting the money to pay for that back? If they say to you, oh, you can pay me back, slightly understandable, it's okay, but also tell me the price that you're paying for it to begin with. And I know that in some cases it's kind of inevitable because buying tickets for concerts is absolutely insane. So the the prices can just go up from what you previously did check them to be. So I do understand in a sense how it could jump from 30 to 55, but also a simple call to just quickly be like, hey, is 55 okay? Wouldn't hurt. But also they can still sell the ticket. So it's not really that deep. They can bring someone else. It's not crazy bad idea. So I don't think that you were the problem. Although I do think that it is a little bit petty to just not pay the $25 difference yourself. But as I said, I think that the person who bought the tickets should offer the remaining $25 because they did not make you aware that that was the case. Lack of communication. They need to find a way to make up for it. And that's what I think. I think you've already come to the conclusion of what I think about stand culture. And that is that I think it is toxic. I think that the most important part of it all is setting boundaries as to how far you do get involved. Because there's people that like, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, they're going to make it toxic. If you have an opinion on something, if you express thoughts on something, it's going to go to an extent of like you being attacked, you being dragged, you being, sometimes it goes to the extent of like them finding a picture of you and just like hate tweeting about you. But for the most part, it then now takes me to realize that the only times I like to be involved with Stan culture is when it does come to a content, a release of like content or there is something to actually talk about. Otherwise, it spirals off into drama. It spirals off into getting too personal. It spirals off into affecting your own day-to-day life. And it can even, when it comes to like arguments and stuff like that, when it does get toxic, it actually can affect you quite badly because it's like stressing over people hating you, stressing over saying the wrong thing, people coming at your throat for literally saying the most minor things, saying you don't like something or saying that something isn't your cup of tea just absolutely being destroyed. (laughs) But I do think that everyone individually needs to realize that just because one certain celebrity says that they don't like your favorite artist doesn't mean that you have to hate on that celebrity. Oh, well, I mean, I I, no, because I understand. (laughs) Fuck, no, because I understand where you're coming from. But what I'm more so, what I'm getting at is that like, if somebody says they don't like a certain song by an artist or this song isn't that great, they could have done better, or their new release isn't that good. I understand defending them, but going to the extent of like aggression, being unhinged, being unnecessarily aggressive, and dragging them, especially to the point of when it gets like doxing people, and it goes so beyond just defending this public public figure, that's when the line needs to be drawn. Because then it also turns into like a cancel culture thing of like canceling someone because they said they don't like this song and this song means this and this song means that and everyone loves this song and how did I say that about one of the biggest female artists in the world and etc etc. That's what I think. So, stand culture is toxic. If you involve yourself, set boundaries. 
Don't be too heavily involved. Don't get so caught up in aggressively going at people's throats. Let's realize that everything we see on the internet and everything we involve ourselves with on the internet isn't real world reality and that it quite literally is the internet. And let's all just breathe because I promise you somebody not liking your favorite public figure is not a matter of life or death. (laughs) You can let it slide. Each week, I randomly select one listener to send an exclusively made Not At The Party laptop sticker to. And if you want that to be you, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcast, five star, obviously. Send a screenshot of your review to at Not At The Party Pod on Instagram or send it to my own account, Brock Valesini. And that could be you that wins the exclusive Not At The Party laptop sticker. Get cracking. Do that. You are listening to Not At The Party. I'm Brock Vallasini. Peace out. Thank you for listening to my thoughts. I'm sorry that sometimes I drag shit on, but that's me. You're going to have to get used to it. Hope you enjoyed. See you soon.